Hey, a quick message for those of you who are listening to this episode on Spotify. I have a small favor to ask. Spotify now allows mobile users to rate podcasts. I would really appreciate it if you can take a quick pause to go to the Techly Journal podcast page and leave your favorite show, your best rating, on Spotify. It will help me a lot to get this podcast to reach more people on the platform. Thanks a lot. Today's clip is from Techly Journal episode 100 with Dave Farley, the one who runs the popular continuous delivery YouTube channel and also the author of Continuous Delivery and the latest book, Modern Software Engineering. In this clip, Dave explained his view on modern software engineering and why it emphasizes on the practices for building better software faster. Dave described the foundations of the software engineering discipline and explained the core competencies we need to succeed by becoming experts at learning. For today, we will discuss mainly from your latest book, which is titled Modern Software Engineering. The first thing that comes to mind for me when I look at the title, why do you call it modern software engineering? Is there the old ways of software engineering and there's a new modern way of software engineering? Yeah, it was a title that was stuck in my mind for a long time while I was writing the book. And to be honest, I was somewhat nervous at the title. The reason that I call it modern software engineering rather than just software engineering, and I was nervous of the title is kind of the same. I think in our industry, we've kind of weirdly devalued what we think of as engineering. I think it's very common to think for people to say software development isn't engineering. And a lot of it isn't. I think that's fair. A lot of it isn't engineering. But in other disciplines, engineering doesn't mean heavyweight bureaucracy, which I think is what it tends to mean to us. What engineering means in other disciplines is the most effective, efficient way of doing work of high quality. <laughs> and so if software engineering doesn't allow us to build better software faster, it isn't software engineering. So modern software engineering, I think, is different to what went before. We've tried to implement engineering approaches before, and they were nearly always narrowly focused on some particular set of tools or diagramming techniques or something like that and bureaucratic and heavyweight. And that's not what I mean at all. So I mean almost entirely the opposite of that. So what I was interested in, part of my background and interests, my hobbies, is that I'm very interested in science. I think that a reasonable definition of engineering is as a practical implementation of science. You apply scientific style reasoning, which is humanity's best approach to learning, to solving practical problems. And I think that's a reasonable kind of colloquial definition of engineering. I was, I was interested in those kinds of ideas. What are the ideas that we could point to and whatever your technology, whatever the problem that you're solving, whatever organization that you're working, if you applied these principles, you'd have a better chance of success. And I thought I'd spotted some of those things over time. And they're related to continuous delivery, which was my previous book that I worked on with Jess Humble and so on but also somewhat separate. It's a slightly different angle. It's kind of all focused. They intersect and they're very reinforcing of one another, but they're not the same idea. So what were the principles that would allow us to do a better job? And I thought that was what I was trying to explore. And that's what the title was meant to try and convey. The subtitle of the book itself is Doing What Works to Build Better Software Faster. And in your yeah. book, I also find it quite insightful is that you mentioned that if our software development practices do not allow us to build better software faster, we should really change them because they are not engineering. Yes. So please yes. tell us more about this concept. 
Why do you think so? Like why we should focus on building better software faster? Well, the simple answer is why would anybody want to build worse software slower? I think it's the combination. In part, this is my kind of, again, colloquial take on the DORA metrics, the metrics that come out of the state of DevOps report that give us a predictive model. If you work in these kinds of ways and do these kinds of things, you increase your chances of success. And they are based on the stability metrics. What's the quality of our software? When we introduce software into production, how often does it break? And when it breaks, how long does it take us to recover from the breakage? And throughput, what's the efficiency with which we can deliver software of that quality? So that's the faster part. So working quickly, one of the findings from the Dora metrics, which is important, I think, is that there is no trade-off between speed and quality. One of the traditional assumptions is that if you want to build high-quality things, you need to go slowly. What the Dora report says is no. If you go slowly, you build lower quality things. And that's what the statistics say. That's what a sociological approach to measuring the performance of software development teams finds. The more barriers you put into being able to release change quickly, the worse the output. So we want to be able to move quickly. We want to be able to go faster and we want to be able to build better software. And that means that we need to be able to focus and be able to learn, find out where our mistakes are, correct them really quickly and efficiently. And that kind of is one of the ways in which this plays in with continuous delivery. Continuous delivery is a fantastic way of being able to build a better software faster. From my career itself, I can tell that so many experience from my view is that we build software faster in the beginning, but turns out after a long period of time or maybe a few months, it starts to get slower and slower. And maybe many people have left. They don't know about the context, the domain problems. So I think maybe some of the tools that we will discuss today can help people to really build better software faster like continuously. So you have a definition about software engineering, right? If I can read here is that the application of empirical scientific approach, which you mentioned in the beginning just now, to finding efficient economic solutions. So the economic solutions here is also quite interesting to practical problems in software. I know that you cover in the book that some of these keywords are really important. Maybe if you can discuss slightly some of these terms, why do you think it's important to define software engineering using this way? So I was trying to get the simplest, minimal description of what I was thinking in terms of engineering. I was quite pleased with that description that you just read out because it's fairly lean, it's fairly concise, but I think he doesn't miss anything important. So applying the reasoning, the rational approach of science, I think that one of the fundamental natures of science is that the differences between science and almost everything else is that we start out assuming that we're probably wrong. And that's a very healthy thing to do in engineering and in software development at all. So we're going to apply scientific style thinking in a light way, not overburdening, not bureaucratic way, but we're going to be informed by that kind of thinking. We're applying that to solving practical problems. We're not doing theoretical research and proving that quarks are the basis of particles or anything. We're building things. And so we've got to be practical and pragmatic. So the empiricism of engineering, just trying stuff out ultimately, is a big part of it as well. The economic part is, again, part of engineering. If we are physicists, we can imagine building machines that are black holes. Thinking about that practically, economically, in energy terms, we're not ready to do that kind of thing. For us engineers, we are building things. And so there are always economic constraints at some level. That's about the amount of time and effort and money that we spend. 
but also economic constraints in the sense of the performance of our delivery system and the performance of our software. The carbon footprint of the software that we create, that kind of thing, is an interesting question in its own right. So I wanted to get that in there as well. So I think all of these different parts of the definition kind of lead us in this direction of trying to organize our thinking in a more rational way and apply it to solving problems that are of value to people in some way. That's what I was trying to reach for with the definition. Thanks for that explanation about the software engineering. So I think for us, we need to probably redefine some of our understanding. Software engineering is not just writing code that works and deploy it. I think that's a really good point. One of the things that I'm obsessed with at the moment is watching SpaceX build their space rockets to go to Mars. That's engineering live on YouTube. You can kind of watch it happening in the real world. That's not theoretical. They're evaluating their ideas. They're blowing spaceships off. They're learning from that. They're making progress step by step. And I think all of these things kind of come into an engineering approach to solving problems and thinking about the ways in which stuff can go wrong and all of the time looking at how to improve and refine our designs and our solutions so that they'll better fit the problem that we're trying to try to solve. For us to follow this definition of software engineering, you mentioned there are two things that we have to be expert at. So one is actually to become expert at learning. This comes back probably to the scientific approach that you mentioned. Yep. The second is experts at managing complexity. Maybe if we can cover one by one, let's start with experts at learning. So you mentioned there are a few key things, like five things that we need to be able to practice in our software engineering or software development day to day. So what are those five things? Yes. So experts at learning, let's just say why that's important, first of all. It's to do with this kind of scientific engineering philosophy of assuming that we're probably wrong. We're not going to start out with perfect vision. We're not going to be able to predict the business context, the technical context, the socio-technical context of how we organize ourselves to work. We don't know the results of any of those things. At some level, we're going to get all of those things wrong. And so we want the ability to make progress while we don't know at the start of a project where we don't have all of the answers yet. Therefore, we want to optimize to be able to learn. Microsoft did some research into their own ideas and found that two thirds of their ideas produced zero or negative value for the company. So you'd like to be able to learn which were the bad ideas early on if you wanted to be efficient. So we want to optimize for be able to learn all sorts of things. What the problem is that we're really trying to solve, what our users really need to be able to solve that problem, what our technical solution fits. Does it really work? Is it releasable? Is it compliant? All of those things. You want to learn ways of doing that. How are we going to work? In order to be able to do that, as you said, there are five principles that underpin our ability to do that. So we need to work iteratively. We would need to work in many small steps so that we have many opportunities to kind of look at what it is that we're doing and refine it. Oh, that didn't work. Let's not do that anymore. That kind of thing. We need to take feedback seriously. We need to understand what information we need to gather in order to be able to determine whether our ideas or our solutions are useful or helpful, whether our products are landing with our customers, whether our tests are passing or failing. We want to optimize great feedback to do that. We want to also be able to work incrementally. We want to be able to build systems almost evolutionarily, sort of bit by bit, not all in one great big chunk. So we want to be able to deal with these things more independently so that we can kind of carve it out and certainly if we're working on a big scale, divide up the work so that different parts of the organization can work on different parts of the problem. 
So working incrementally is part of all of that. We want to work experimentally. If we want to start being more scientific, being more like engineers in our approach, then we should apply a little bit of discipline around the way in which we think about making changes. The key to that for me is to think experimentally. We want to make little predictions. We want to say, well, this is the problem that we're looking at at the moment. We think if we did this thing, this would improve our position on this problem. How would we tell whether that thing was or wasn't working? That's the difference between an experiment. It's that step of predicting what the outcome is and then carrying out the test. So you could think of this as a test with a product. We think that if we do this thing, it's going to improve the sales for this widget and we'll put it into production and see what happens. Or you could think of it as a test. I think that the code should do this thing. If it were to do this thing, this is the assertion that I would be able to make. Then I write some code to fulfill that assertion. These are ways of it working experimentally. And that can, and for me, has become pervasive. That's the way that I now think about and practice nearly all change where I can. So what is it that I'm trying to do? How would I understand the results of this thing? And I'm just thinking in that way. It doesn't need to be heavyweight. It can be really fast, really short, really efficient. But it's just a slightly more disciplined, organized way of structuring our thinking that gives us better results. And the last one is empirical. We already talked about empiricism. Engineering is about real-world things. It's not about some ivory tower imagination of a system. It's about the reality of it. So we need to gather feedback from production. We need to be able to understand what's really going on. We need to be able to make practical decisions based on what it is that we find. Elon Musk is building his space rockets out in Texas. I'm sure that they're doing very sophisticated computer simulation. But at some point, they build stuff out of metal and then they blow it up on a test stand to see how it works. That's how engineers think and that's how they operate. If you look at the development of any sophisticated engine, think about an aeroplane. Aeroplanes used to be incredibly dangerous things. In 2017, the equivalent of two-thirds of the population of the planet flew in commercial airliners and not one person died. That wasn't possible in the early versions of aeroplanes. We had to go through that pain of things breaking and killing people and say, oh, well, we won't do that anymore. We'll relearn. So it's about work incrementally and growing and learning based on mistakes that we make fundamentally. And we've got to give ourselves the freedom to be able to operate that way and to make those kinds of mistakes, but to, when they occur, to learn from them and to correct them. So I think those five things, iterative working, feedback, incrementalism, experimentation, and empiricism are the cornerstone of our ability, really as a species, to be able to learn effectively and efficiently. I can't imagine anything that we could consider to be engineering without those things. So the first third of the book is really about exploring those ideas in much more detail, looking at each one of those principles and kind of picking apart and seeing how it fits with software development. I hope you enjoyed this short clip from Techly Journal favorite playlist. If you find this episode useful, please help share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would also benefit from listening to this episode. And if you want to listen more from this conversation, please go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest. Stay tuned for the next Techly Journal episode, and until then, goodbye.